All right, well, I want you to, I, I, it was really cool. The kids came down and they marched and they did the whole military type thing, you know. I want you to keep that in your mind. <clears throat> Excuse me, keep that in your mind as we go along. Because we want to reference that kind of word picture there, the discipline that it takes to do like that. This morning I want to talk about fear. And the title of this message is Me Without Fear. Everyone deals with fear at some point in your life. I mean, everybody, I think, in this room would agree that even if it's just a little t- fear, you know, just some little thing that, that's, that's kind of made you shake a little bit in your boots, maybe it's a big thing. Maybe you struggle with fear in a big way. But one, what, what one person is afraid of may seem like no big deal to another as well. But there's things like fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of not being quite good enough, fear of getting hurt again. Fear of missing out on your dreams, fear of being alone, fear of debt, fear of being unsuccessful in your job or marriage, fear of divorce, fear of death, fear of going to hell. All these things, and there's so many more, I'm sure you can think of some that maybe I didn't list, that maybe even you've gone through yourself, or maybe you're going through. Fear can be a natural thing that keeps us from danger. I mean, goodness, fear of sharks. You know, if you're in the ocean and you see a shark and you're not afraid... I think there's something wrong. <laughs> you need to get away. Um, but when fear becomes, da- it be- fear becomes dangerous when it keeps us from moving forward in the gifts and callings of God. Amen. So fear can keep us from danger, but fear can become dangerous when it becomes a wall or when it becomes a shell or when it becomes a shackle on our lives. There are seemingly countless and nearly unpronounceable phobias in this world. I mean, I, goodness, I started looking up some to maybe put up on the screen and, and list off a whole bunch of different phobias, and that's not what's on the screen now. But all these weird, I mean, the, the claustrophobia, it's a common one, is claustrophobia. Everybody knows it's, you know, fear of closed places. And uh, agoraphobia is fear of, you know, going outside and all these sort of things. And, and there's other ones. I can't, arachnophobia, you know, fear of spiders. But there's some that are just, I mean, they're, and they're countless. I looked it up. I mean, goodness, in the, the A section alone was like, I had to scroll. Just the A section. And then B, and I just gave up. I thought, forget it. I'm not even going to try to put this up on the screen. There are seemingly countless and nearly unpronounceable phobias in the world. And it seems that some, some people are so gripped by fear. Some people are so gripped, they, they would even identify themselves as, hey, I am claustrophobic. I'm not, but I'm just saying, hypothetically, somebody might say, hey, I am claustrophobic. And, and it becomes part of who they are. It's not just some out external thing. It's, it's now become something that's, they, they identify themselves, hey, I'm Justin, and I'm claustrophobic. Ah. It's almost as if they have one of those little name badges. You know, you get like at a conference or something that says, Hello, my name is claustrophobia. Hello, my name is agoraphobia. What's the one for heights? I can't remember. Um, and so they're no longer known by who they are, but they're known by their fear, their phobia, the thing that, that keeps them from life. Goodness. Okay, so, uh, but here, this is kind of heavy. I know this is a heavy part, you know. But I'm not here to condemn if you've got fear, if, if you're struggling with fear, if, even if it's just a little bit, or if maybe you know that yesterday, man, you went through, you, you were shaken. You, you, you were shaken by whatever fear. I'm not here to condemn you because of the fear that you may have had or you may have or the fears that you sometimes deal with. I'm here to tell you that we do not have to live in fear. Amen. 
And I know that's simple to say. I mean, any psychologist can say that to you. And, oh, you don't have to be afraid. And they'll go through the psychology of it all. But I'm telling you, you don't have to. It's a biblical principle that you do not have to live in fear, nor does it have to, nor does fear have to keep you from being who you want, God wants you to be. And seeing the dreams and desires that he has placed within you to be fulfilled. If you could live, this is a question I want you to think about this. If you could live without fear, what could you do? What could you be? Who could you be? Think about that for just a second. If you could live without fear, I mean, I'm talking about all the time. Not just this moment. Maybe you're sitting and you're feeling safe in your chair. But maybe you got, you know, goodness, you know, tax day is coming up in a couple of days. Maybe you're worried about that. You know, the tax man cometh. <laughs> death and taxes that they say are the only sure things in life, right? Um, So maybe you're, maybe, you know, you're, you're feeling safe. And I don't mean to stir that up. If it is your fear, I don't mean to stir that up in you and pull you out of your safety in the seat. But seriously, (laughs) bad things sometimes happen. We'll just say it. They just do. Sometimes bad things happen. I'm not trying to speak a curse over your life. I'm not trying to speak death into your life. I know the, the power of death and life are in the tongue, but sometimes in reality, bad things happen. And sometimes we find, might find ourselves in fearful situations just like so many of the people in the Bible. When you look at Abraham, Abraham was known, he was known as a great man of faith. That's one of my heroes, my best, my favorite heroes. Favorite, that's not a word. My most favorite heroes in the Bible is Abraham. Man of faith, Right? You know, he's called out of his father's land, the land of Ur, to go to a land he's never been to. Now, think about that for a second. Now, some of you have always lived in this area. I've always lived in the Northern Virginia area. The idea of me, God saying, Justin, I want you to pack everything up and move to Ireland. I've never been to Ireland. I mean, I know a little bit about the culture, but I'm not Irish. I wasn't raised in this, and God's calling me to do at one point in my life, I felt that God wanted me to move to Australia. I was actually there for three and a half months, and I was supposed to be there, I thought, for about a month. And it ended up being three and a half months. And I literally, about halfway through the trip, started thinking, is this where God... And it just... It was terrifying. Oh, my goodness. And I loved it there. Don't get me wrong. But it was... Ah, okay, this is a big step. This is a big thing. And I said, okay, God, I want to make sure you're telling me to do the right thing. And went for three and a half months just going, okay, well, this is what I'm supposed to do. And and God changed plans, and obviously I'm still here. This is several years ago. But God told him to leave the comfort of his father's father's house, the land that he was born and raised in, and go move not to a specific place, but somewhere. And the Bible even talks about that he became a stranger. I believe it's in, in Hebrews where it says that he, he was a stranger in the land. This is the land that God told him to move to. He was a stranger. You've got to know that there was a... This is the great man of faith. I'm not trying to demean the great man of faith, Abraham. But you've got to know that there was a little bit of trepidation. There had to be a little bit of, I hope I'm doing the right thing. I, I hope that was God that I was listening to today, Right? So then you got the same man of faith, you know, great man of faith. He comes to two, two different times. He comes to a city and his wife, Sarah, must have been just an amazingly beautiful woman. He comes to this, this, the first city and says, okay, here, here's the deal. Here's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to say, you're my sister because 
I don't want them chopping my head off. You know, you're hot and I know they're going to like you. So just say you're my sister. That way I can live and we all be, you know, sort of happy-ish. This is the same man of faith. He was afraid. He told, and God later on, God told him to, to sacrifice his son. I cannot imagine the turmoil that that would cause inside. I know this is the great man of faith. And I know the Bible says that he just went and did it. But he's a human. Just like you and me. He, he has emotions. He had feelings. I know it's a different culture. But every culture has feelings. They have fear. They have joy. They have hap- He felt these things. And so you've got to know that when the promise that God had given finally has come, you've got to know that there was a twinge of, okay, we're going to do this, but my goodness, this is not cool. This is not a good feeling. He couldn't have been happy about it. So then you go to Joseph, and we'll go a little quicker now, but we've got Joseph who's taken from his father, sold into slavery. And then he was put in jail. You don't think that at one point or another, he felt a little, okay, why is this happening to me? This is terrifying. I mean, jail, you got to think of it. Jail is not, I mean, jail today, to be thrown in jail would be terrifying enough, but back then, oh my goodness, I can't imagine. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were taken captive. I mean, everybody knows the fire furnace story, but they were taken captive from their land by a militant people, the Babylonians. They didn't come in and say, hey, why don't you come move over to our friendly house? No, they took them captive. They laid siege to the city. They laid siege to all of Judah, destroyed it, and then took many of the people, many, vast majority of them, to Babylon, to a strange place where they knew none of the customs. And you've got to know that that had to be a little bit scary. Daniel thrown into the lion's den. The prophets are mentioned... There's a group of prophets are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36. And the prophets are mentioned in a generic form in, in, in verse 36. It says, actually, the verses before there, it says that, um, you know, so they, 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 changed, they changed rulers and they, they challenged the people and they moved them into joy and happiness. And then it also says, and others, others of these prophets experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Yeah, think about that for a second. Sawn in two. You think you're going to sit there and go, oh, it's okay. I'm all good. No, that would be terrifying, even for a man of faith. Sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. Then they went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated. I mean, goodness, folks. These are people. I know we look at the Bible, and I look at this this way. Every once in a while, I've got to remember... These are men. One of my favorite movies is a, it's a depiction of, of Jeremiah. And it goes through and it shows the turmoil that this, this young man, because he started as a young man, as a prophet. It shows the turmoil of, I can't do this. I mean, even at one point, Jeremiah was just so fed up with it and so fed up with the turmoil of it and so fed up of being afraid that he said in the Bible, it says that he said, I'm not going to talk anymore. I will not speak for you, God, anymore. He was just so gripped by the, 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 the roughness of the life that he was called to. Jesus, even Jesus. Yeah, I'm not trying to say, don't get me, don't stone me. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, remember at the beginning of his ministry, he's preaching and he's teaching. He's preaching a little bit of hard things. And the crowd got angry. And they grabbed him. They were going to take him and they were going to throw him off the cliff. 
I mean, this is a scary situation. Now, Jesus being full of faith, Jesus being knowing something that we're going to get into, knowing this thing, this, this relationship with God. We're going to get into more specifically what I think that is. He just turned and a little bit of the power of God just walked through the crowd and walked away to safety. Then you got Paul. My goodness, Paul boasted about his afflictions in, in several times in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 4, says, I was with you. He's talking, he's beginning the letter to the Corinthians and he says, he says, when I was with you, in, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not persuasive words, in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Paul, I mean, he wrote, what, two-thirds, a half, whatever of the New Testament. This is, this is a man of, 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 of great wisdom, great understanding of the Word of God. And yet even Paul said, he, he comes before Corinthians and he's, where, where is it? Weakness, fear, trembling. He was a nervous wreck. I don't know why. But yet I think maybe it was to show them that, hey, God's Word doesn't need some strong man. God's word stands on its own. And so we'll get with that, but that's another set message, isn't it? Paul, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead. Thankfully, not at Corinthians, <laughs> the church at Corinth. But shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, beaten, imprisoned multiple times. I mean, he goes through a list. I can't remember which, which uh, I think it's Galatians. He's, he's talking about, hey, you know, I'm an apostle. And hey, here's my proof. That was his proof. All these afflictions. And, and I know this is a great, again, this is a great man of faith. I don't want to demean the men that are in the Bible. They're great men of faith, such great examples, but they are men like you and me. They felt joy. They felt pain. They felt fear. In Acts chapter 16, 23 through 26, the crowd rose together against them. This is Paul and uh, Silas. They had just been preaching in, in, the, in this city. I can't remember which city it was. And they cast the spirit of divination out of this young lady who people were making money off of her abilities. And they cast this spirit, which is not obviously not of God, they cast it out of her. And the people that were making money from this girl, they didn't like that. And so they took him to the magistrates. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore the robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. With rods, people. When they had struck them with many blows, they threw them in prison commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them, and suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. This was a time of a different kind of justice than we are afforded here in this country today. I mean, you've got to think about this. You think about getting in prison. I mentioned it earlier. You think about prison. I would hate to be arrested, convicted of some crime, and then thrown into jail. I mean, that, that, that would be scary. Okay, that would be scary. But you've got to think of it. That would be scary today. But back then, I mean, there was no sense of, you know, innocence before guilty, you know, before you know, proven guilty. Uh, the, the whole idea of, of, uh, of due process, <laughs> that just would not be recognizable to us if we lived back then. It's scary. Yet Paul and Silas do not seem to show fear. 
I mean, they had to have felt a little bit, but they don't seem to have shown it. What are they doing? At midnight, they're, they're, they're beaten. They probably didn't even have their beatings trim, uh, treated by a doctor or some sort of whatever. They were immediately beaten, thrown into stocks. They weren't just put in a jail cell. They're, they're thrown into stocks. They're chained either to the wall, to the floor, most likely the floor back then that was common. This is horrible. And yet they're not, they're not afraid. They're not complaining. They're, they're, they're praising God. Why? Because they knew that God was going to cause an earthquake or break them out of jail? No. It was because they were convinced of something else. What kept all of these men, Paul and all the, the Old Testament, New Testament, and there's many more examples that we can find in the Bible that if you think about it, if you read the story, you've got to think, oh, wow, if I was in there, if I was, that was me, if I was Daniel thrown into the lion's den, even with, I, I would pray, and I would pray in faith. You, could, you better believe I'd pray. But there would be a little bit inside of me to go, oh, I'm not looking forward to this. What kept all these men from succumbing to obviously terrifying circumstances? It wasn't just faith in a powerful God. Let me just say that. Because, the, I mean, there, there are rulers in this, in this world. There are people that, that rule. They're kings. They're powerful. But they do nothing for me. And I don't trust in them. Because they don't care about me. They don't even know who I am. They could give, care less about what it is that I'm doing right now or what I'm going to do tomorrow. What I, what I'm, I propose to you is that they didn't, they, they didn't succumb to the fear. They didn't give in to the fear. They, they succeeded beyond the fear, not just because of a faith in a powerful God, but because they knew, they were convinced that God loved them and God cared for them. And then on top of that, this is the all-powerful, almighty God. Oh my goodness, what do we have to be afraid of? And they just, fear went away. I believe it was because they were convinced that God loved them. And this is what caused them to keep moving forward in faith. This is what gave them a song in the night. 1 John 4, 16 through 18. And this is, this is the key. Fear. The, the, the bane of fear. The, 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 the repellent that you spray on yourself. The bug repellent for fear. And it says in verse 16, We have known and believed that the love that God, ha- the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God. And God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, but he who has fear has not been made perfect in love. Does it say that fear is pushed away because God is powerful and God is able? I mean, these are truths, but no, it says it's because of the love of God, his perfect love. God is love and his love is perfect. And because of that, fear cannot stay. God's perfect love frees us from the grip of fear. His perfect love obliterates fear when we believe, receive, and are convinced of it. I remember when I was a kid, I had a group of friends and we would go do things. We would go do some stupid things, I'm telling you. We'd climb trees and I had this one friend, he would climb way, way high. And as far as I know, he never climbed them unless we were all there. Or at least some of us were there. 
and, and we'd, we'd go through and we'd, we'd jump ramps, you know, with our bikes or our skateboards and we'd go down these insanely steep hills when a, when a good snow would happen. And there's, I mean, when I tell you insanely steep hill, there was this one hill in the neighborhood we'd go down. It was the best thing. And the stupidest thing is there's all these trees. And I remember standing up the tr- top of the hill every time we'd go down and going, this is not smart. <laughs> and, and I should be afraid, but let's do it. <laughs> Because my friend, now would I ever do that by myself? Never. The, you know, the, the, the drainage pipes that they had, the big drainage pipes that they have in some of the, the, the neighborhoods around. I mean, really, they have some really long ones. And I remember there's this one in the neighborhood where I grew up. I mean, it was easily from there to there. I mean, it covered way, and you could see this little tiny dot. You know, I was, I was a little short kid, so I could get in the drainage pipe pretty easily, and so were the rest of my friends. We were, you know, I don't know. Don't tell my kids this, but I was about their age. Um, so we'd go down in there. We'd climb through there. Did I ever do that by myself? I tried one time. Oh, my goodness, the darkness was just uh, terrifying, gripping, <laughs> paralyzing. But with my friends, man, I went through that thing. And we'd, we'd tear through there yelling, screaming, pretending whatever we were pre- pretending, having a great time. It, it, it was, it, it's as if there was a, there was a, there was a camaraderie, but it's, I, I knew they cared for me. I knew they had my back, and I had theirs. There was, a, there was a love. I mean, maybe at, you know, nine years old, you don't call it that. But it was love. It was, a, it was a love. There was a care. There was a, hey, don't worry about it. I'm with you. There's security in love. And the same can be said of the love of God. With his love, you can survive any calamity that comes your way. You can scale any obstacle. You can accomplish what seemed impossible in the past. You can win. I'm not just saying that to make you feel good. This is the Bible. Perfect love. The love that God has for you, for you, for you, for all of us in this room. That perfect love casts out fear. It obliterates it to the point where it's almost, it doesn't exist anymore. When we are convinced, when we receive it, when we believe that God truly loves us like that. When we can say without a, beyond a shadow of doubt, God's got my back. I can do it. I can win. I want to put this on the screen. It says, God in me is always a majority. I remember I told you that, 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 that my friends, and when I was by myself, I wouldn't climb those crazy tall trees. I looked at them, <laughs> but I wouldn't climb them by myself. But with, with Charlie at my side, man, we'd climb up those things. He'd always go way higher. He was crazy. But um, he'd go way higher than me. But I mean, I, seeing him go up there is like, hey, I can do this. And that's what God does for us. He goes and he, he gets along beside us, behind us, in front of us. And he says, hey, look, let, let's do this. That's what Jesus did. That's why Jesus wasn't afraid. He says, I only do what the, I see the Father do. He saw the Father go forward and, and speak to the, 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 the storm and see it go dead. So he says, well, I can do that too. He saw the Father say, you know what? That person can be healed. And he said, yeah, that's right, I can do that too. God in me is always a majority. God is with you. Even when you are alone, you're not. God is with you. God loves you. He cares for you. He guides you. He protects you. Knowing that God is with me, I can accomplish anything. Anything he asks me to. I can even ask my boss for a raise or promotion. No hint. I can ask for that young lady to marry me. I've already done that. Plus, trust me, it was terrifying. But I did it. I can share the gospel with my coworker, neighbor, my family members. I can pursue that new career path. 
I can move to that new town. I can do whatever it is that God wants and has in store for me. I can go through good times as well as bad times. Philippians 4, 12 and 13. Verse 12 says, I know how to get along with humble means. In other words, being poor. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being fulfilled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I can do all things because I know He's coming back. I know that, oh, I see Him going before me. And if He can do it, I can do it. God in me is always a a majority. I can survive anything that comes my way, good or bad, because God loves me and is with me. God manifests His love in so many ways. It's not just a gushy feeling. I'm sure God has feelings. I mean, we're made in His image. And so I believe that's part of what He's he's given us, uh, happiness and joy and even sadness, because he, He experiences those things. And so I believe that God's love is a a feeling that he has for us. I believe he does care for us in that that sort of way, but he manifests his love more than just a gushy feeling. He manifests in his faithfulness, his provision, his goodness, his presence, his guidance, his wisdom, his peace, his mercy. We could go on and on in the manifestations of the love of God for us individually and for us as a a church, as a body. Paul prayed that we would know God's love in all its fullness. In Ephesians 3, 14 through 21, it says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, Paul is praying, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant to you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, rooted and grounded in the power of God. No, it's rooted and grounded in love. You may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. This is what he deemed so important. He's praying that these people would understand, see, experience, and be convinced of the love of God. Now unto him, skip down to verse 29, now unto him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. God's love initiates our freedom from fear. God's love initiates our freedom from fear so that we can see his power work in and through us. Now let's see how we can, now we, we, we learned that Fear breaks the, or love breaks the fear in our lives, right? The little fears, the big fears, love breaks those things. It initiates that freedom. It releases us from fear. Now we can, now let's look and see how we can maintain that freedom. Because now that we're free, right? Now that we're convinced and we believe that God loves us. He's got our back. He's always with us. And with Him... He and I are a majority. I don't care if there's 10,000 people over there. God and me, bigger than that. So how do we maintain that? We need to maintain that. I, let me, you can come down here today and perhaps we might have an altar call. Or maybe you don't have an altar call. Maybe you just come down and you want a prayer with the pastor. And maybe you, you need to see fear broken in your life. You realize, man, you need a little bit extra help. And that's fine. That's good. But after you get that prayer, that's not enough. I'm not saying God's love is not enough. 
I'm saying that initial breaking is good, but now you need to do something to keep it going, to keep the freedom, to maintain the freedom. It takes work. Let's go to first, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6 and 7. It says, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul is saying this to Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, and the King James says fear, but of power, love, and discipline. The King James says sound mind there. Power, love, and discipline. These are the three things that we must walk in, apply to our lives in order to see and to, in order to maintain a freedom from fear. Because I'm telling you what, bad things sometimes happen. There's things that, are, that come our way sometimes, whether we expect it or not, and we need to be ready. We need to be strengthened so that when they come, we can say, I can do all things. I can go through this. It's bad. It does not look pretty. My house is being foreclosed upon. This is not fun. This is scary. I've never done this before. What do I do? Oh, no. God is with me. I can do this. I can go through this. I'll survive. I won't just survive. I will thrive because God is with me. Three things that keep, us, keep fear from controlling us again. Power. Number one, power. God is almighty, all-powerful. That is true. We talked about that earlier. God is almighty, all-powerful. And throughout Scripture, we see His abilities on display. You probably have seen things in your life, big things, maybe little things for sure where God's power has, has intervened in your life, even performed miracles, He has put that power in us by His Spirit. It says that. It says, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of. Now, it doesn't say He, but He has given us. That's, that's the, the grammatical inference is that He's not given us the spirit of fear, but He's given us the spirit of power. The almighty power of God. Think about that. The almighty power of God is in you. Some of you are looking at me real serious, but that should put at least a little bit of a grin on your face. The power of almighty God is in you. And when we believe that, when we start going, you know what? That's true. I I don't have to, that little fear that's starting to crop its ugly little head up. No. God's got my back. He's in me. His power is in me. I can speak to that thing. I can speak to that mountain and say, no, be removed, cast in the sea. I can speak to that sickness and no, be whole, be healed. We can be bold. We can speak to mountains. We can see them removed. We can pray for the sick and see them healed. We can ask God for things according to his word and his will, and we will get it. That's what it asks, and you shall receive. You know, you can say, well... You can't just ask for anything. Well, you know, James says that, you know, you don't want to ask amiss. You want to ask according to the word of God. You want to ask according to his will, for sure. But if you ask, the power of God is in you to ask and you will receive. Love. Number one, number two is love. Number one is power. Number two is love. This is the, th- the second thing that keeps fear from controlling us again. It always comes back to love. Throughout the Bible, you see it. Jesus left one new command. He says, a new commandment I give to you. Right? And, and while he was still on earth, in the Gospels, new commandment, that you love one another. He didn't tell them to do some other re- religious ritual. He didn't give them some other, you know, thou shalt not. It was love. For God so loved the world that he gave it. Not, not that he had pity. It, it, it wasn't that he... he God was so sick of the sin in this world, and so he's like, ah, oh, 
guess I gotta send my son. No, it says he loved. It always comes back to love. It's 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, the, the one right before the, the love chapter 13. It says, you know, it goes through all the gifts of the Spirit and all these things, and it talks about that. And it says, you know, and in faith, hope, and love, these are, you know, the one, most wonderful things. And he says, he says, right before 13, he says, but I give you a better way. And the whole rest of the thing is love. In other words, faith, hope, and, and love, faith, hope, and charity, as the, the King James says, are really important, powerful things, but love is the most powerful thing. And love never fails. God is love and his love frees us and sustains us. Sustains our freedom from fear. Discipline. Remember the, the, the picture of all those kids with the thing? And they were you know, doing the, all the discipline. And, and they were memorized. They, my, my kids, they worked hard at that. And, and, my, little, and my little blonde hair, Chase, he's, he's so good. He's got such a memory. He, he memorizes scriptures and he's just, he brings it. I don't know if you saw the little bingo chart things he's come down and he, I mean, he rattles them off he, and he's getting them and it takes discipline though it takes and Keegan he doesn't memorize things quite as easily as Chase but he works at it and he gets it because it takes discipline and that's the third thing that discipline Isaiah 26 3 says you will keep you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you you keep him in perfect peace perfect peace I was talking with Brenda and we were trying to decide, well, what's the opposite of fear? And we went through all, you know, it's boldness. It's not really courage. Is it boldness? Maybe. And I started thinking, I think it's peace. Because when I'm afraid, I'm telling you what, I'm, I'm shaking, you know. Or maybe I start getting heartburn or maybe I start getting the butterflies in the stomach. But when I'm at peace, I don't feel any of those things. I'm at rest. I feel well. I feel happy. I feel like I can do anything. So, but but what, what the key to that perfect peace is discipline. His mind is stayed on God. That means you have to put some effort into it. You can't just go, oh, well, you know, God, give me your peace. No, you've got you to meditate on the Word. Put the Word of God. Memorize it so that you can recite it. Memorize it so you're thinking about it and you can meditate on it. And I don't mean meditating Eastern, medit- get across your legs. Oh, I mean, meditating, the whole idea in Eastern meditation is that you empty yourself. I don't know if you know this in Buddhism and in Hinduism and other, you know, yoga and all that. You empty yourself. That's the whole concept of meditation in the Eastern philosophies and Eastern religions. But in the Word of God, when it says meditate, you're filling yourself. That meditation causes you to fill up, not empty out. And so you want to meditate on the Word of God. You want to fill up so that when the fear comes, you go, no, 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 no. That's what Jesus did, right? In the 40 days in the wilderness, he was out there at the end of his fast, you know, right after he had the dove come down, this is my beloved son, who I will please, right? He goes out in the wilderness fast. At the end, the devil comes and starts tempting him. Hey, turn this rock into bread. You're hungry, right? He answers back, no, I'm not really hungry. No, he said, no, the Word of God says this. You don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And then he says, well, why don't you, you, know, you jump off this cliff? Or maybe it was the temple. It was the temple. He jumps it. Why don't you jump off the, the pinnacle of the temple? Because even he, and the devil tried to quote the word of God. He, he says you dash your foot against the, the log and the angels will upgird you and keep you from hurting yourself. And he answered back with the word of God. You shall not tempt the, the, the Lord thy God. 
Then he goes and he says, hey, look at this. He shows him the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll let you rule these. You just bow before me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. The Bible says, the word of God, it is written, shall worship the Lord thy God, and him alone only will you serve. He answered him with the word of God because it was here, because he had meditated and filled himself up so that he didn't, he didn't practice that particular speech with the devil. He had no idea what the devil was going to throw at him. He had no idea. You have no idea what things are going to come in your life. You have no idea. And I'm, again, if you're dealing with fear, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to make you shake in your seat here. But you have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. You have no idea what's going to happen when you leave this building. But if you're filled up with the Word of God, you're ready. You're ready for anything. Because you've now convinced yourself by the meditating on the Word, by the constant reading of it and memorizing it and thinking about it, you've now convinced yourself that it doesn't matter what comes my way. God's got my back. He's with me. What do I need to be afraid of? Oh, that looks scary, but God's with me. I don't need to be afraid. God has not given you fear, which can keep you from stirring up. He says, remember in, uh, in uh, 1 Timothy, he says, you know, stir up the gift of God. It's 1 Timothy 1.6. So he says, stir up the gift of God that's within you, right? For God has not given you the spirit of fear. Fear will take you from being able to stir that gift of God up. Fear will, will, will keep you and hold you and shackle you from being able to go forward in the gifts and calling of God. God has not given you fear, which can keep you from stirring and operating the gift of God in you. God has given you power, love, and discipline to keep fear off of you, to keep fear off of you so that you can fulfill his perfect will and purpose for your life. We must be convinced that God loves us and that his love is greater than fear. I'm going to ask it one more time. If you could live without fear, what could you do? Who could you be? If you could live without fear, what could you do? Could you witness to that, that co-worker that maybe has got a really bad temper and it's kind of intimidating to be around? Could you, could you go ahead and you've kind of always had that dream that, hey, I'm going to start this business. You know, I've always worked for a company. I've always been one of the people. But I've, I've always felt like I need to start this catering business. I don't know. First thing that popped in my head. Now, I've always felt like I need to start this catering business. But I don't know where to start. Oh, and then what if it fails? No, no, no. Stir it up. Don't, God is with you. If you could live without fear, what would you do? Who could you be? God is cheering for you. God's got your back saying, hey, come on with me. Let's go see what we can do today. Let's all stand. Let's no longer be identified. Hello, my name is claustrophobia. Hello, my name is fear of failure. Let's be identified by, hello, I, I, I'm Justin, son of the most high God. Full of the power, the love, and the word of God. Let's let, let's that, that's a long name, I know, but... Let's have that on our, our identification. Let's not have the fears that hold us back be any, any, no longer be the thing that goes, hey, he's, he's Justin, but I know he's, a, he's afraid of heights. No, it's, he's Justin. My goodness, look, look, get out of the way. Let's see what he's going to do today. Because God's with him. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord God, that your word does speak the truth. And your truth, when we know it, 
When we know it, it sets us free. And so, Father, we just ask you to help us to see it, to know it. Just like Paul prayed that we would know the love of God in the full depth, the height, the breadth, the width. That we would know your love in a greater way than we've ever known it. Maybe we know it a little bit. Maybe we know a lot today. But God, increase our understanding. Increase our vision of your love. That we can know that you've always got our back. That we can know that we can go forward in, in strength and boldness and courage knowing that we can do what you've called us to do. We can stir up the gift of God in us and see your power work in our lives, through our lives, touching others, not just ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen.